0: Amen. Amen. I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew, chapter 13, beginning in verse 24. While you're finding that, let me just introduce a few folks that you've seen on the stage this morning. Uh, Mandy Clark was singing over here that she is new to our family. Uh, Casey Clark, her husband, is our new assistant camp director, and so they've moved here uh, back in March. And so get to know them. Uh, they have two children, Eli and Macy. Casey, raise your hand back there. That's Casey. He's running the PowerPoint, so that's Casey. And uh, and then Cindy. Thank you so much. Great job. Thank you. We are blessed uh, with the music that we have. And Ricky, that was Ricky Bass, our camp director, who uh, a few years ago just led the music. Now he, like, plays piano and sings, and he's multi-talented. Yes, <laughs> yeah, he's working there. It's just going to be down to a one-man show. In October, he'll be doing it by himself. (laughs) People have asked me this year in the off-season, and it's really a blessing. I'll, I'll catch people in the store or something, and they'll say, what are you preaching on this summer? And I normally say, well, the platform. And then they say, no, what are you preaching about? I said about 25 minutes. But I've answered that question a little differently than where God has led me in recent weeks. And so if I told you something different, uh, get over it. We're going to be in Matthew. Uh, I started the Gospel of Matthew in 2001, my first summer here, and only got up through the first part of chapter 13. And so part two is 15 years later. Uh, so I'm sure you remember all those messages. We don't have any of those on iTunes, so you're out of luck. But uh, we're going to pick up in Matthew 13. And so let me read this passage to you. This is Matthew 13, I'm just going to read verses 24 through 30 to start. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No. For while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather up the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them up. But gather the wheat into my barn. So the first thing that we see in this passage, and we're going to read the explanation a little later is this earthly comparison. Jesus says, I want to compare for you the kingdom of heaven. In fact, he tells seven parables in this chapter. And he's trying to unpack for people the kingdom of heaven. Here's the problem. They were a part of a kingdom. The Roman Empire was was very prevalent back in those days. And for you and I to think about the kingdom, uh, we don't live in necessarily a kingdom. We don't have a king. I did a little research. There's Depending on who's... Numbers you use, there's approximately 200 countries in the world, 200 nations, and about 50 of them have kings or dictators. We're not familiar with that. But Jesus is going to use a parable to teach them who were very familiar with the kingdom they were under of this world, and he's going to illustrate for them the kingdom of heaven. Perhaps you've heard, if you grew up in church, that the typical definition of parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And that's a good beginning to understand it. It literally means this. It means to bring something alongside something else. So it means this, to take something that's familiar and bring something alongside of it so that you can explain the unfamiliar by what's familiar. So Jesus wants them to understand the kingdom of heaven. That, That phrase, kingdom of heaven, is used 32 times just in the book of Matthew, just in the gospel of Matthew. You think it's important that we understand the kingdom of heaven. So our focus this summer is going to be on the gospel message and the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus says the kingdom of heaven may be compared to, and He uses something else they were very familiar with. Anybody plant a garden yet this year? If you had not already planted it, it might be too late. Not very many. Where are you all going to get your groceries? At the grocery store. Do you all have a garden? You live in Conway for crying out loud and you don't have a garden. No homegrown tomatoes. You're going to get them from other people. That's what you're going to do. (laughs) Well, I guess the closest we come to understanding this parable is if you've ever planted a garden. But Jesus tells the story of a landowner. And He tells the story of His garden. And He says, the kingdom of heaven could be compared to this. So understand something. He's about to paint a picture for them of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And He's going to do that seven times in this passage. We're just going to look at one of them today. The kingdom of heaven is compared to a man who sowed good seeds in his field. And then while his slaves are asleep, an enemy comes and sows tares in the same field. And apparently this was prevalent enough at this time. In fact, an enemy, a saying among enemies was, I'm going to take out vengeance on you by sowing sowing weeds in your field. And so it became so prevalent, there was actually a law in this day for what would happen if you got caught doing this, or if you did it and got caught later. So apparently it was something that an enemy would do out of vengeance, out of spite to a landowner. But his slaves noticed this. They noticed as the wheat grew right beside the tares, here's the problem. You didn't notice it the whole time it's growing until the fruit fruit begins to be produced. In fact, the darnel or the tares in this case is also called false wheat because it looks exactly like wheat while it's growing until it starts putting out fruit, as, as it starts to head out, as they say, and the wheat begins, begins to become evident. Then you realize, wait a minute, we got a lot of seed here that's grown up that isn't wheat. And so the slaves noticed it, and then they had a solution. They go to the landowner and they say, wait a minute, didn't you sow good seed? Well, absolutely, I sowed good seed. Then how is it that we got bad seed in the garden? And he knows immediately, I didn't sow that. That's an enemy has come and done this to us. And so the slaves have a great solution. The solution is let's just go rip all that up. And the landowner says no, because by doing that, you're going to disturb the roots of the wheat. Let them grow together. Now back up a minute and keep in mind, Jesus is teaching thousands of people. We see him in the Galilee region where we know at one time he fed 5,000 people and it's because he had been teaching them. In fact, earlier in this passage, if you go back in the first part of chapter 13, it says they actually had to put Jesus in a boat and he he just was docked right off the Sea of Galilee. If you've ever been over there, there's several hillsides that form a natural amphitheater. And apparently, they could hear. Thousands of people could hear. So these followers of Jesus, these people interested in the message that He's proclaiming, are listening to this. But there's some other people there too. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious elite are there. They're hearing the same message, and we we know they're already disturbed by what Jesus is teaching. In fact, we know it won't be long before these Pharisees and Sadducees meet together at the Sanhedrin and decide we've got to get rid of this guy because he's not preaching the message that needs to be preached. And so when Jesus says, I'm going to compare the kingdom of heaven to this, as soon as they hear kingdom of heaven, they're not looking at the picture he's painting anymore. They've got their own mind made up. In fact, you're going to hear in a minute, they couldn't hear what he said because they've already quit listening. But there's thousands of people that are hearing the message and becoming followers of Christ all around the region of Galilee. And so when the slaves say, can we just rip these tares up? The landowner's concerned about the wheat that's still there. And I would say that the slaves could be compared a little bit to the Jews of that day. Because they expected the kingdom of heaven, when you mention that to them, they're expecting the Messiah is going to ride in on a white horse and these people that have been oppressing us, he's going to wipe them all out in one day. And so when Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to, to a landowner that sowed seeds, they, they don't get it like deer in headlights. And they've already in their mind conjured up something entirely different than what he's teaching them. In fact, he says just allow them to grow together. And when harvest time comes, I'll say to the reapers, and what he's saying to the slaves is, you're not skilled reapers. You're not qualified. So I'm going to have professionals come in, and they're going to reap the harvest for me. The first thing they're going to do is what you did back in those days. You took up the the weeds, the tares, and you bound them together because you didn't want them repopulating your soil and poisoning it for the next crop. So you'd bind it together and cast it into the fire. And so... We see the disciples come to Jesus. He, he withdraws from the crowd. And I'm going to continue reading in verse 36. He tells two more parables. I'm skipping over. He tells all these to the public, four parables to the public. And then it says he withdraws from the crowd. And his disciples ask him, explain that one to us. So let me pick up in verse 36 and following. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, "'Explain to us the parable of the tares and the wheat, and the tares of the field.' And he said, "'The one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels.' So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will come forth or send forth His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will sign forth as the Son in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus withdraws from the crowd, and his disciples come and say, Help us understand this. Now, the first parable he told in the passage in chapter 13 is the one about the seed. Some falls on good soil, some falls on rocky soil, some falls on soil with with, uh, weeds, some falls on soil that has no depth. And the disciples come and ask him a question then. Why do you speak in parables? Well, let's look at that. Verse 10 and I'm just going to read 10 through 13 just as an explanation of the parables. After he tells, starts telling the parables, his disciples come, came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables. Listen. Because while seeing, they do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear nor understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled. And he quotes an Old Testament prophecy. Who's Jesus talking about? He's talking about the religious elites. Who Jesus has come as Messiah and they wouldn't receive him as a Messiah. In fact, they're already plotting to do away with him and put him to death. And so his disciples say, why do you teach that way? Well, Jesus is teaching that way so that people who weren't part of that group would hear the story he's telling and put the picture together and understand that's what the kingdom of heaven is. But these others, as soon as he starts teaching kingdom of heaven and there's other things, other illustration he uses, they've already tuned him out and they're painting their own picture somewhere else. So Jesus explains. There's seven characters in the story. He said, first of all, the one who sows is the Son of Man. Who's that? That's Jesus. Jesus is basically saying, I am sowing seed all around the world. In fact, he defines the field. It's the world. It's not just the church. Some people have translated it just talking about the church. Well, is it possible that there's weeds in the church? Well, not this church, but other churches. And not your church, but I hear, I've just heard this by rumor, that some churches far, far away have weeds in them. All right, I'm joking. (laughs) Here's the problem. All churches got weeds. And, and I don't want to blow this for the end of it, but we were all weeds at one time. We were all tares at one time. But the field is the world. So Jesus has sowed seed. So if you're a child of the kingdom, you're now the good seed, which is the third character. Good seed are the sons of the kingdom, the children, sons and daughters of Jesus, of the kingdom. And you've been sowed in the world You need to understand something. As a good seed, you're on mission. You've got a divine mission from God. You're His witness in the world. Because we don't want all the tares to remain tares. Who are the tares? Those are the sons of evil. So the good seed are heirs of the kingdom. The bad seed are heirs of the devil. Of the evil one. Who's the enemy? The enemy is the devil. Jesus said that. The enemy is the devil. Be careful. The enemy is not the tares. You ever thought that before? The enemy are all these weeds. And if we were the harvesters, what would we do with all the weeds? Get rid of them. Rip them up. Bundle them up and burn them now. Well, you need to know that day's coming. But what can we be doing? We can be being good seeds in the world sharing the love of Christ with other people that would draw them into faith in Jesus Christ, we would see tares turn into wheat. One of the interesting things about tares, they look just like the wheat until fruit starts being produced. So how can we tell the difference? Check out the fruit. If you see somebody that's a part of your church or somebody that's a part of your circle of influence, somebody you live among, work among, go to school with, and you don't see fruit that's inconsistent keeping With the kingdom of God, then then treat them like a tear. Tell them the good news of Jesus. But don't rip them up, bundle them up, and burn them. They're not the enemy. The enemy is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And I'm so glad that God's in charge of the harvest. You and I, again, we're not in charge of the harvest. The slaves that spoke to Jesus in the earlier passage They weren't even going to be the harvesters. They were just kind of noticing that something doesn't look right. So the harvest is the end of the age. Understand something. Although judgment may be delayed, judgment is certain. The reapers are the angels. And it says that Jesus is going to send forth His angels for the harvest. That day is coming. And then He said, just as the tares at that day are going to be gathered and burned, so will happen at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth His angels to gather out of His kingdom. They're going to gather all the stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. Now for some of you, that begins to be good news because you're thinking, i got a lot of stumbling blocks around me. Well, who are, what are the stumbling blocks doing? Well, the stumbling blocks are trying to thwart the cause of Christ, both among the saints but also among the tares. And the biggest way they're stumbling blocks is to trip people up and keep them from coming to Jesus. So Jesus says, one day, all the stumbling blocks are going to be gathered, those who commit lawlessness, and they will be thrown into the furnace of fire. When I read that again this week, I thought, are there any other furnaces? I want to be thrown in the furnace of ice cream. <laughs> you know, doesn't it kind of go without saying? I think the most horrible thing to experience is fire. And he says that's what's coming at the end of the age. They're going to be harvested. They're going to be bundled up. They're going to be thrown into the fire. And listen to the words. And there there will be weeping. The word literally means loud lamentation. Loud wailing. And there will be gnashing of teeth. Now, hopefully that doesn't make you think they're finally going to get theirs. It ought to be a warning call to us to tell people about Jesus. Because the harvest is not yet, so it's not too late. But yes, if there's people mistreating you, tripping you up, if they don't come to faith in Christ, God will be their judge, not you. And then the good news, the righteous will shine forth as the sun. Literally the innocent, the holy, will shine forth on that day, at the harvest, in the kingdom of their Father. The last thing he says is, listen up. He who has ears, hear. So my last point is, okay, so what? Take take the point of that. What's the practical application out of that message, out of that story? Jesus has told a story to bring alongside something they were very familiar with, and that was planting wheat and harvesting wheat. So he's brought the kingdom of heaven and laid it right beside that and said, I'm going to compare for a little while the kingdom of heaven to that. The first question I have is, why would an enemy sow bad seeds? Well, physically, we know that an enemy sows bad seeds just to mess up your field. Kind of is a terrorist act to confuse, to damage the good plants, to cause terror. And they hope to counterfeit. They want to make an exact imitation of something valuable or important with the intention of deceiving or defrauding. So what does Satan do in the church? What does Satan do in the world? He tries to put out counterfeit Christians. People who look just like others. The only problem is there's no fruit there. The Bible says it's obvious who the children of God are and the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not a child of God. That's 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. So that's a sobering thought to realize we could be among people who look the part. They've got to act down. They may even be a part of the church. And yet they don't know Jesus. And apart from Christ, what's going to happen? They're going to spend eternity separated from God in a place where there's be loud wailing and gnashing of teeth. And it doesn't end. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a liar and the father of all lies. That's why the enemy sows tares. The enemy sows tares to trip you up as a believer. The enemy also sows tares to trip up other tares so they won't come to faith in Christ. Then what are the consequences for unbelievers and believers? Well, one consequence is this. Tares cannot produce fruit no matter how hard they try. If you're if you're not a child of the kingdom, you can try all you want to to produce fruits of righteousness. I mean, you can... Oh, I'm going to make fruit appear. It can't appear. Why? Because it's not of us. It's of God. The Holy Spirit has to produce fruit through you. So tares can't produce fruit. And that's why some people are so frustrated in the church. Because they don't know Jesus. They just got a dose of religion. And they kind of wonder, what is this all about? Is that all there is? And they see other people excited about the things of God. They see other people doing things for God. So they try to do the same thing. They fake it till they make it, so to speak. And they just feel empty. If I'm speaking to somebody here this morning, there's good news. You don't have to stay there. But the reason you're frustrated is you're trying to produce something that you in yourself cannot produce. Tear can't produce wheat. But God can turn wheat God can turn tares into wheat. So what are the consequences? There is a coming judgment. It's certain. It will be final and horrible for unbelievers. Let me just share a few thoughts about that. Mark chapter nine, verse forty three says that hell is an unquenchable fire. Matthew twenty five, forty one. He will say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell is eternal. There's some people that think you're just kind of annihilated at death. If you don't go to heaven, some people think you're just annihilated anyway. Other people think, well, the Christians, the saved, will go to heaven. The rest of you just be annihilated. You're going to wish that's the way it was. Hell is eternal. And it's a fire that's unquenchable. Revelation 19, 20, And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet, who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, And those who worshipped his image, these two were thrown into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. And in case you're sitting here thinking, let's get off this subject. Hell is a horrible place. Can I just say, I don't hear a lot of messages anymore on hell. Why? Because we don't like hearing about it. But I'm not going. In fact, let me put it this way. This is as close to hell as I'm ever going to get. You ever thought about that? If your life gets bad this week, and you're a child of God, just remember that this is as close to hell as I'm ever going to get. This summer, it's going to get hot. There's times I tell people, there's nothing between me and hell but a screen door right now. It's just hot. But this is as close as I'm ever going to get. So yeah, we need to hear what hell's like. It's forever. It's forever. And people that don't trust Christ, we need to share Christ with them because if they don't follow Christ, they spend eternity separated from Him. And it's horrible. But it will be glorious for believers. The righteous will shine forth as the sun. Another thought is it's His kingdom. Jesus several times in the passage and at the end He said, they will be gathered into His kingdom. I'm so glad. It's not your kingdom and my kingdom. Because i got to tell you, if I was in charge, I'd have messed it up already. I would have hastened the harvest. God's in charge of the harvest. It's in His time. Listen, it's not going to come too early, and it's not going to come too late. There's people that look at world events right now and just think, it can't be long before Christ comes back. Well, I'll tell you this, it's closer today than it's ever been. But it will come when God's ready for it to come. Believers will not be damaged. Last thought is God is in charge. God's in the business of making wheat out of tares. So it's not too late. If you've still got a breath, whether you're here this morning or whether you'll be impacted by this message because the seed spreads out, Here's the good news. God turns tares into wheat. God can do something that you and I can't do. He can produce fruit of righteousness. You and I can't do that. We can strain. We can grunt. We can groan. Doesn't work that way. So what do we do? We become followers of Jesus Christ. Back to the crowd 2,000 years ago. Jesus is sitting in a boat in the Sea of Galilee teaching thousands And the religious people rejected it. Made them mad. Because it's like he's just changed all the price tags in the window. And his idea of the kingdom of heaven didn't match with their idea of the kingdom of heaven. Well, isn't that special? Who do they think they are? Men and women, we've got to be careful we don't go right there with them. It's his kingdom, he's in charge. What kept these religious people from following Christ was this, self-reliance. They didn't become followers of Jesus because they saw him as a lunatic or a liar that didn't know God. What keeps us from following Jesus? Really the same thing. I've had conversations with people about Christ, and they'll say things like this, well, you know, I'm I'm a good person. Really. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm. I think me and God are okay. Really? What does the Bible say? The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Translated this passage, we're all tares at one time. We were born tares. The only thing that changes that is putting your faith in Jesus Christ to turn you from a tare into the wheat. And if you're wheat, guess what's going to happen? Fruit gets produced. So if you're in question today, just ask God. God, am I your child? Romans 8. He hasn't given us a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but a spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father, if you're challenged this morning, have I ever trusted Christ in my Lord and Savior? Ask God. God, would you reveal to me, make it very clear, if I know you as Lord and Savior, or am I just religious? Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank You for the truth of Your Word. God, hard message when we talk about the fact that there's coming a day when judgment occurs. And there's going to be people who thought everything was okay. Who are going to hear Jesus say, Depart from Me, I never knew You. But the good news is, it's not too late to wake up. God, would You make it abundantly clear in each one of our hearts that we know You or we don't. And if we don't know you, today could be the day of our salvation. To simply come before a holy God and say, I recognize that I need a Savior. Would you forgive me? Cleanse me as I now follow you. And Father, for many in this place who've done that, the challenge for us is we're the good seeds that have been planted in the world. We're not just in the four walls of the church, but we're in the world. And that may mean our school, our place of business, our own homes and neighborhoods. God, use us as an example of what wheat looks like so that sinners will be converted to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand as Russell leads us.